All right, welcome to Venue Church. We're so glad you're here. We hope that your worship time was incredible. Come on, uh, our amen corner here, socially distanced. I'd like to preach with a little bit of feedback. So, so, uh, and thank you, team, for setting all of this up. I like the studio feel. All right, we're starting a brand new series called The New Norm. The New Norm, and I've called this sermon Gideon, Man of Steel. Man of Steel. How can an army of 300 Israelites beat an army of 135,000 Midianites? 300 versus 135,000 Gideon, man of steel, mostly because Gideon was not made of puppies. <laughs> I've been watching you, and a lot of you have dogs that you didn't have before the COVID crisis. And, and listen, wherever we're, we're reaching you from, whatever your state of life right now, I believe that there is hope in the scripture for you. I believe that there is hope for, from the word of God and the Holy Spirit for your life right now to comfort you if you're mourning to help you. God doesn't want his children uh, begging for bread. And I believe that in this sermon, you're going to find hope today and purpose for your life. But part of this crisis, I think, is that you will see that this crisis, I will put it into perspective from the scriptures, you will find out that this crisis is not as bad a crisis as many have suffered in the world before now. And we've got to turn you from, from uh, having the spirit of a puppy to the spirit of a lion, yeah. if we're gonna beat the devil in this time. All right, um, I wanna say uh, this is a couple of weeks uh, after the Airdrie Easter uh, drive-in that we did. And I wanna say a huge thank you to Venue Church. If you're in Airdrie and you're in Venue Church, you funded that. Thank you so much that, that we were able to do that. An extra, that cost us like over $5,000, but we had um, the second highest number of attendants that we've ever had in the parking lot, and then we had the same amount of people watching online too, and so uh, that was an incredible opportunity that you took. Um, also, I want to say uh, through your generosity and your giving, we've been able to fund um, a mission in El Salvador that builds homes for people. For um, $1,000, we, uh, uh, we, we are helping the poor in Haiti with a ministry that we work with called Haiti Arise for another uh, $2,500. And we were able to, um, we were, they're all my favorites. This is also my favorite. A friend of mine, uh, his name is uh, Pastor Josiah in, in Calgary, a church called Thrive Church in Calgary. And Pastor Josiah, um, they're reaching more people, but they're kind of like brand new. And so they're reaching more people than ever, but financially they needed a little bit of help. And I talked to him this week and we were able to give them, write them a check for 2000 bucks and say, hey, go out and reach some more people in your neighborhood. We want a part of what it is that you're doing uh, in the city of Calgary as well. And so thank you so much. Thank you so much, Venue Church. Listen, it's not just, are you ready? It's not just about escaping crisis. It's not just about escaping this thing. It is about maturing. Yes. See, maturity gives you the capacity to handle any crisis that comes. That's good. That's maturity gives you capacity, not just for this crisis, but for the next one. And it gives you capacity to, for the next one and the next one. In this crisis, the people of Venue Church rose up and were generous and were able to put on something we saw it as the crisis as an opportunity to reach people in a different way. We put on Easter drive-in. Actually, we got picked up by news and national news. It was super cool. Um, the last one of those interviews I did, I was so tired. My goodness, I was so tired. But I came across as quite smart. So there is a God in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, my goodness. And then I went and laid down for a whole 
night, and I was very tired. All right, um, listen, if you have maturity, you will be able to make it through the next crisis. It will give you the capacity, it will increase your capacity to get through it. But true maturity is not a soft thing. So what you're facing now might be the hardest thing you've ever faced, but it's not the hardest thing that humans have ever faced. And God has been there to help us along the way. Uh, Jesus said this in Matthew 21. He said to them, his audience would be an audience like I'm talking to today, uh, church people, not church people. He said, have you never read in the scriptures? I love this. When he's talking to church people sometimes, he's like, guys, you grew up in Sunday school, but you weren't paying attention. He said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone? which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. This was, get the, the texture. Today's sermon is all about texture. I'm a texture person. Um, get this, the cornerstone, okay? Not the corner puppy. The cornerstone. Um, the, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. What he's doing is saying, guys, look, I am the culmination of Scripture right in front of you, and you church people are missing it. The cornerstone that you should be building your life and right now resetting and rebuilding your life on is Christ, is Jesus, is your faith in God. He's like, this is the stone, get the texture of it though, that the builders rejected, but make sure that you don't reject Christ in this time. It is marvelous in our eyes. That word marvelous means kind of what you understand in, in, your, in the English language, like admirable or surprising or causing amazement, but then it goes into this other thing that, that the English language doesn't pick up from the, from the Greek here. It goes into this causing amazement joined with terror. Huh. Wow. And you're like, this is the Lord's doing when he takes our lives and builds it on the cornerstone. This, this causes amazement joined with terror. Huh. Wow. Wait, wait, wait. Which God are we talking about here? Is this the God that I grew up with in my grandma's church, or is this... Whoa. <laughs> no. And it also means this passing human comprehension. Meaning what makes you afraid is when your relationship with God has to pass your human comprehension or when he himself passes your comprehension of him. But that's also what makes it amazing. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken from you. He's saying, look, y'all, if church people don't want it, I'll give it to the not church people and give it to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Meaning there's this thing where God is like, I want you to bear fruit with all that I've given you, Canada. Yeah. And he comes and he looks in the, in the, in the vineyard for fruit. And, and then he says this, and, and this is kind of the key verse of this. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so what's part B? Because I don't like that. <laughs> Whoever falls in the stone will be broken. Like when I fell out of a tree and landed on, on a stone on my tailbone. Try that sometime. Yikes. It was broken, you know. <laughs> I was broken. Whoever falls in the stone will be broken, but I'd like to fall out of the tree and not land on that. It says, but on whomever, here's part B, here's the other option, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. So he's saying, guys, you have two options with this cornerstone, who is me. He's like, you can fall on me and be broken, and then I can put your life back together piece by piece by piece, and it can belong to me. Or... You can wait and bend your knee when everybody bends their knee at the end of time. You can bend your knee when, when you pass over this life into the next life, but by then it's too late. And he's saying, if you wait till then, then I'm going to fall on you and it's going to grind you to powder. And we're like, but I thought that Jesus was made up of puppies. <laughs> Just wait for the series. You're going to absolutely love this. I'm going to show you. 300 puppies don't beat 135,000 Midianites. Can I hear an amen? Yeah, amen? Venue crowd. All right. 
Listen, a hard, here's the textural part, a hard God, a hard Jesus is difficult to understand when the sun is shining. So I can preach this message to you now and you'll get it. But if I would have preached this message a couple of months ago, I don't know that you would have. There's this softening up of our hearts that happens when we meet God who's a lot harder than we think that he is. And I can preach it in a time of crisis that could lead to repentance that I can't preach when the sun is shining. Not in the same way because when the sun is shining, we're like, we're good. You know, I'm not worried. I got enough money in the bank. I can, I can go buy this. I can go buy that. I'm not going to lose my job. You know, well, Look what's happening right now. This is the opportunity that God has been waiting for to reset your spiritual life. So not all of this has to be bad. You can come out of this doing very well spiritually. But for you to win through, it will require a different level of hardness than you've ever experienced before. Sometimes we leave the battle too early. Sometimes you and I, we're, we're a couple of yards from the finish line and we leave the race too early. Now, have you ever been in, in, in a relationship? Have you ever been uh, at a job or had a business partner that all you could think of was like, I just am tired of this. Yep. I just want out. Yep. <laughs> um, teenagers, every teenager feels this way because you feel like your parents are the worst parents on earth and nobody has ever had parents as bad as your parents are. <laughs> and your parents are like, we are not the worst parents. on. We are the second worst parents on our block. <laughs> But we're still not the worst parents, and we still pay the bills around here. Every child feels that. Every teenager feels like. But sometimes when we're at work, you know, I was working for a company that, oh, for over a decade. And I remember it just got so bad there that the atmosphere and my attitude, <laughs> really, it just got so bad that I left before I, I went to pastoring. I left that company three months before I should have to go work for a friend of mine. And, and I realized... When I look back now, I realize, why would I do that? Three months, you know, I should have just stayed there. It would have been better for me. But I realized I just had this thing happen inside of me that I just wanted to escape from. And whatever situation you're landing on or debt you're facing right now or hardship in your home with your family you're facing right now, what I want to say to you is don't try to escape too early until you learn the lesson that you need to learn. And if you're married, don't escape your marriage. <laughs> Come on. Um, See, we used to say this, every shop has its problems, and if you go down the street to the next shop, I came from the trades, they got problems too, they're just different problems. So what happens is I watch people move from family to family or marriage to marriage or even church to church, but the problem is you take the same problems there because the problem might actually be in you. And um, if you go to the next church anyways looking for the perfect church, they wouldn't want you um, for very long. And they wouldn't want me either. This, you know, having a pastor who's super flawed should really be consolation to you. Because <laughs> you can be like, I fit in here. I like this place. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's good preaching. Hey, it's not just about escaping crisis. It's about maturing. Maturity gives you the capacity to handle any crisis that comes. And an untimely escape could bury you and keep you from your destiny. So what is it that God wants for you during this crisis that you're facing in your life right now? Now, the problem is, in our Canadian society, we rarely run up against non-negotiables anymore. Right. Does that make sense to you, non-negotiables? Like, if you get pulled over and you were doing 180 in a 30-kilometer, you know, children's school zone, oh, wow. 
you still think you have a chance to not pay that ticket. You still are trying to talk your way out of it. You call me up on the phone because I, I can sell ice to Eskimos. And you just want, you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, can I call a friend? Can I, was I really going that fast, officer? We live in a society today that's very soft, and you can talk people into things. Um, we live in a society today where everyone wins, but what we mean is everybody is participating. And because we don't like the feeling of losing, we're just like, hey, everybody wins, so nobody has to lose anymore. But when I was a kid, you know, it'll sound funny if, if you're younger than I am, but, you know, people back then actually used to have to win races to get stuff. And they actually had to do well on tests to get awards at school and things like that. And <laughs> there was a hardness of society in my parents' generation growing up that I don't see anymore, and I think that we're missing in this crisis. Well, there's a hardness that used to be in the church that was a good thing, a hardness that used to rely on the mercy of Christ and reach out to your neighbor and give sacrificially. There was a hardness in Canada that used to believe about things like generosity. But we've gotten soft, and we've think that somehow when we approach God, I talked to somebody here not that long ago who's a grown-up who is in church, and I was talking to this person who's very influential, had a lot of status, and I remember giving them, I think, a word from the Lord for them, and then them treating that whole thing like it was a negotiation, and I remember thinking to myself, God doesn't negotiate. God's not like your two-year-old that you're afraid of. Like, he doesn't negotiate with terrorists. God is God, and God knows what he wants, and God knows what's best for your life. And the sooner we align our lives to what he wants, but there is this aspect of God that is very hard. So when I was exploring textures as a child, um, um, what I did one time was I didn't understand how walls were made. So I was um, practicing my spin kicking in my mom's kitchen. Mom, mom wasn't there, obviously. All the best things I ever did, my mom wasn't there. <laughs> she was there after. And so I was practicing spin kicking in, in my kitchen, and my brother was there. Probably talked me into it because I was super safe and <laughs> calm. <laughs> no. Um, <Right. laughs> but I didn't realize that walls are made with, I mean, there's, there's walls and there's solid wood uh, studs. Like every 16 inches. Am I right about that? I, I've been out of the trades for a while. So every 16 inches, there's, there's a stud that's solid, right? But in between that is just one layer of drywall. And so, so the drywall itself, it's, it's hard to touch, but it's not really that hard. So if you came from Europe, you would think that walls are made out of cinder block or, or out of concrete. And so walls themselves are quite solid. But I found out when I was spin kicking, and then I got thinking I should spin kick something so that... You know, it makes sense. I'm results driven. That seemed to make sense to me. And so, so I tried to spin kick the wall. But what happens was when I spin kick the wall, I spin kicked right between two studs. And I found out it's not super solid <laughs> in between there. Right in the middle of my mom's kitchen. Oh, my goodness. And y'all don't have Irish moms, so you don't even know. And I'm like, I'm dead. I'm going to die. My mom's going to come home. And she's, she's short. And I was in junior high. I was taller than she was. But it doesn't matter. She's going to kill me. And I don't have enough to get on a bus to Mexico. So, so I'm like, what should I do? And I feel like the Spirit of God came over me. And what I did was I, I, I took a piece of paper and, and like a big piece of paper because I needed a big one. And I taped it over top of the hole in the middle of the kitchen wall. And then I got thinking, I've got to somehow. And so I wrote on there the scripture verse, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and so my mom came home, right? Because if it's scripture, right? 
And so I thought, she couldn't kill me, right? If I write the scripture down. And so she came home and she looked at the piece of paper on the wall and then she walked over there and then she lifted the piece of paper on the wall. She read it and smiled a little bit. If I could get my mom smiling, it was okay. She smiled a little bit and then read the paper and then smiled and then lifted it up and then called my dad over. And my dad just gave me another one of those looks. I was very familiar with them of like, how could I have such an idiot for a son? And I'm like, I didn't know the walls weren't solid and hard, dad. And he's like, how would a son of mine not know something like that? But I didn't know. It's you're exploring textures. Now, my dad himself was a very hard man. I don't mean hard and unloving. I mean hard and loving. And so... And so you had to pay for your mistakes. You had to help fix the problem. But we're growing up in a society today where there's no consequence for anything anymore. Like there's bailouts. There's like moms and dads. We don't let our kids fail anymore and suffer the consequences. So we constantly bail them out. And then they become adults thinking that they're going to get bailed out forever. And then they enter this relationship with God and they think that it's a negotiation. There's other hard surfaces, though. When I was a kid, I was running beside a pool. I used to live in Los Angeles, and now I live in Canada because God is playing a, a trick on me. And I was running beside this pool, and you know how they say don't run beside pools? I know why they say that now. And I was running beside the pool, and it was wet, and I slipped, and, and I slipped and landed on my head and knocked myself clean out at a, at a friend's birthday party. Thankfully, I didn't fall in the pool. And I remember coming to like with this wicked headache halfway through the halfway into the person's house, like by the time they picked me up and I was out for a while. And then I came through and I just had this headache, this fierce headache. And I remember thinking to myself, concrete is very hard, (laughs) very hard. It's not made out of puppies. And you got to be careful because, because there's rules for running beside a pool. And if you disobey the rules, then the consequences are harder than it would be if you just obeyed the rules in the first place. Well, there's rules to a relationship with God that can work for you or work against you, just like gravity does. We mistake God's kindness for God's weakness. But see, God is not weak. So we think that because he forgives our sin that he's okay with sin. See, Jesus, um, Jesus was full of mercy and justice. But listen, an unjust God who never punishes sin. No, no. Jesus hung on a cross and took the punishment of sin for you. That's the mercy of Christ for you. But your sin was paid in full. But, but if God wouldn't repay the sinner for sin, then he couldn't be just. And if he's not just, he's not righteous. And if he's not righteous, he's not holy. And would you serve an unholy God? No, no. He is immovable. His character is immovable. I am the Lord, he says. I do not change. Yesterday, today, forever. I am the same. And, and Jesus was full of grace and truth. Now, some of us, we, we like grace too much. So we just, we're on the grace, we're on the puppy side of Jesus. And some of us, we like truth too much. So, you know, like the man of steel, like we're just like, it's all this way or it's all that way. And you have to understand Jesus was this mix of grace and truth. And yet it says, it doesn't say that the grace sets you free. It says the truth shall set you free. But the grace extended whence the truth is preached. You're going to see how this works in Gideon's story. You cannot respond properly to his hand at this time of your life. Right now, today, when, wherever you're watching this, wherever you're picking this up from, you cannot respond properly to his hand until you know which hand it is, which moment you're in. 
It says this in Judges chapter 6. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Now, there's a crucial thought in here that I want you to get. I see some people's reaction on social media to this COVID thing and then all of the things attached to it. And I saw one that said that the religious leaders had better, you know, answer something about why this is all happening here. But you could just read your Bible and see for yourself. It says the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. Think of it less like, more like this. God cannot protect what he does not possess. He cannot, you get mad at God for allowing COVID to happen. And God is like, who walked away from who? I cannot protect what I do not possess. And Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden chose sin and chose another master called the devil. And God is redeeming the world a piece at a time through his church. But you have to understand God cannot protect what he does not possess. And so it becomes the church's God to get more of the world into God's hand so that God can protect them. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is going to be good. Look at Jesus' life. But there is this idea that God cannot protect what, what he does not possess. And then it says this, the Midianites, and it doesn't say God, it says the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Now get that, that was social isolation before it was cool, everybody. Like, there were no Netflix in the cave or in the mountains. They just made holes and crawled into them. That's how bad it was. Says this, whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Now catch that. Whatever you're facing, it was not as bad as what Gideon was facing. And God gave Gideon victory. So you have to understand here, the problem is not the problem. The problem is God cannot protect what he does not possess. So now we see in this story how Gideon enters and how Gideon brings Israel back to God so that God could protect them by possessing them. And it says this, they... they, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Like they waited until they were reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Seven years they waited. Now, you and I could have repented a long time before this. We could have. We could have hit a spiritual reset, but we didn't. How long do you want to wait? At any time here, God could come. At any time, God could do a work in your heart. God could do a work in your family. God could do a spiritual reset on your life. God could give you purpose at any time. Don't wait until you're starving. That's what we do because we're so stubborn sometimes. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. Oh, this will be nice, right? This prophet's just going to console the people. That's what prophets do, right? I have a prophetic gift, and so (laughs) prophets are super, you know, they cry a lot. Prophets are like surgeons, y'all. And listen, you don't want a prophet who does a whole lot of crying, I'm just going to say. Because if they're operating on you and they're crying and they're just weeping into you trying to clean out the cancer and stuff because this is going to hurt later, it doesn't work. So we need, we need surgeons in the body of Christ right now. You need surgeons in your finances right now to be like, whoa, 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 let's get a budget together so this never happens again. Come on, say amen. That's good preaching. All right. So he sent a prophet to the Israelites. Now, interesting, interesting here. You have to understand, Canada, you don't understand how God moves 
because our country doesn't exactly move the way that God does. When God wants to make a change, he calls a person to make a change. Catch that. When there's a change that needs to be affected in society, he calls a man or he calls a woman, and then he calls people to follow. So he calls a person. It's not a grassroots thing where everybody wakes up and sings kumbaya and then fixes the economy. It's not like that. He calls a man or he calls a woman. And if we get on board with that man or woman that God calls, then we do well. And when we don't, we don't. Now watch what happens. This is a hard voice. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. This doesn't sound very nice. They're like, yeah, but where are you now? I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I'm the Lord your God. I told you the walls are not solid. What are you thinking? (laughs) You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. They're going to betray you. They're going to trick you. They're going to leave you unprotected. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath. So first of all, we see a lone voice. Catch that. A lone voice calling the people to repentance. This is not the people waking up one day and being like, we know what went wrong. No, no, no. Watch what happens. Watch Gideon's response even. The angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belongs to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. Now, um, does anybody know historically that you don't thresh wheat in a wine press, <laughs> right? So you thresh wheat on top of a hill where the wind is blowing so that, it, that the, the wheat gets thrown up into the air and then the chaff drives the, the or sorry, the wind drives the chaff away. And so he's threshing it here because anything, if he's out there, the Midianites are going to see him. And if he stores too much, they're going to come and take it. So he's just doing like day by day by day in the wine press. And he's doing it in the wine press where there's no wind to drive the chaff away. So listen, listen. His life was so bitter for seven years, he's been eating bread that has chaff in it every day. It is a constant reminder every day of how far they were from God. Sometimes your life gets so full of bitterness and so full of little poisons that you, every meal you eat and every interaction you have, you know that there's something wrong. You, you're reminded of your slavery. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, I love this, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. <laughs> Gideon's like, I'm threshing wheat in the, I'm going to eat more crappy bread. Mighty, who are you talking to? This is when the Lord comes to you and says, I see you tomorrow and not today. I see a way different you than I see right now. And this is what the Holy Spirit says to me sometimes. He's like, preach to that person, the tomorrow person, preach to that one, because that's where they're going. And so that's why it's hard sometimes because God expects something of you because he can create something in you. The angel of the Lord says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with, listen to this, he makes a change here, us, why has all this happened to us? See, Gideon's mindset, he, he, his filter was so plugged up because he didn't understand, you'll hear it in a minute here, he didn't understand what was really going on, and his mindset was so plugged up. And how many people know that God, you can read a verse out of the Bible, and when you read the verse out of the Bible, you try to apply it to your wife's life because you don't realize that the Bible was written to you first. <laughs> and then you just change everything in there to, I'm like, love is patient. And I'm like, my wife is not patient right now. And God is like, love is patient. I'm, this book is written to you. I wrote another Bible to Aaron that she reads out of. So relax. Just read it to you. Come on, that's good preaching. Oh, yeah. 
So he says, so if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now listen, listen. This is very interesting here. The angel did not say to Gideon that the Lord is with you all. Obviously, he wasn't. Gideon's like, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happening? And the angel's like, but I didn't say that. I said the Lord is with you. Watch that. He says, where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has, listen, now listen, listen. This is what he thinks. This is what somebody thinks out there who's experiencing some sort of crisis. He says, but now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And the angel's like, who abandoned what now? You left. Yes. The, the Bible says God is faithful. And he, he is so faithful yes. that even if you are faithless, he is faithful. Yes. He has never left you or forsaken you. Never. Not for one second. It's us that leaves. That's right. yeah. Then the Lord turned to him and said, this is when the Lord um, doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what you feel. There's a hardness about this angel and, and the message from God. This, and then it says, the Lord turned to him and said, I don't know if this was a manifestation of the Lord or how all of this worked, but he just completely ignored him because he's like, I already spoke through the prophet about that. It was your job to listen to the prophet and you're still all messed up in your head because you think that I left you. I'm not even going to talk about that. Now listen, read your Bible. Listen, you're responsible. He says... Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I'm sending you. <laughs> I don't need you to think. I don't need you to feel. I don't need you to agree. I just need you to go. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And that's God's word to somebody out there today. God's like, yeah, I don't need you to think. I don't need you to feel. I don't need you to agree. I just need you to go so I can bless you. That's it. That was my dad's message to me from the time I was small. I don't need you to think. I don't need you to feel. I don't need you to agree. I just need you to go so that I can turn and bless you. That's good. Oh. That's so good. See, but then he says, go in the strength that you have. And I, here's where we miss it. Here's where we miss it. We're like, God, I'll go in the strength that I'll have tomorrow. And God's like, you won't go. I want you to go today. Go in the strength you have. Right now. <laughs> Give a percentage of what you have. But God, tomorrow my job is going to be better. And God's like, why don't you give a percentage of what you have? Why don't you give the love that you have? Why don't you give respect that you have? Why don't you, why don't you make a change with what you've got right now? But then he says this. He's got this list of excuses. But Lord, he replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. And I am least in my entire family. And the Lord's like, oh, I didn't know that. Should I call somebody else? No, the Lord just completely ignores him again and says, I will be with you. What? Are you not understanding the words coming out of my mouth? I already said I'd be with you. This is not about you. It's about me doing something through you. I just need you to go. He says, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if, catch this, this is super, I, I never saw this until this time through this. And as if you were fighting against one man. Wow. 135,000 are going to assemble against him. He says, as if, here's his challenge. Gideon has to make Israel fight as one man fights. Wow. And this is the problem in Canada. We don't fight like that. Right. We got a bunch of little men and a bunch of little women and a bunch of opinions and a bunch of kids. And we're all fighting some form of battle, yeah. but we're not together. We're not fighting as a body fights, like, hey, this person can see, and this person can speak, and this person's got hands that are strong, and this person has feet. 
And he's like, you need to mobilize this nation so that it fights as a, as a man's body fights. And if you can beat the one in front of you, then your neighbor can too. Come on. And if you can beat this fear that you're experiencing, your neighbor can too. <laughs> but that's not how my industry functions. And God's like, I know. That's why it's not going well right now. That's not how my family functions. That's not how the church I grew up in functions. God's like, I know. That's why we need to make a change. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Then what happens here is something interesting. He brings an offering to the Lord, which we've been talking about sowing in times of famine. Thank you, Venue Church, for being so generous and sowing to the house of God. When we take care of God's house, he takes care of our house. And, and listen, uh, he goes and brings an offering and probably takes as long as he can to take so that the angel forgets that Gideon is there and he can go and find somebody else to do it. But, you know, it's like, it's time to do the dishes and your one kid goes for an hour-long bathroom break. It's the same sort of thing. So he comes back and it says he put the offering on the rock and then the angel touched, touched the offering with his staff and fire came out of the rock and consumed it. I don't have time to preach about it, but I wanted you to get that. Fire comes out of the rock, out of the hardness of who Christ is. Out of the hardness comes the fire that burns that offering. All right. Now, this part is, is where I need you to do something this week because God is speaking this to me for you and is speaking it to me. Uh, this is the application part here. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old. And he says, pull down your father's altar to Baal. This is one of the gods of the people that they adopted. And cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it, another god. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Next week I'm talking about, about discipline. Oh my goodness, it's not talent that wins in a marriage, it's discipline. You're going to love it. And he says, sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asher pole that you cut down. Now, this is what has happened in Canada, and please hear me, is that it's not like we completely left the idea of the Lord our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. We did what Israel did. We started blending that God, the one true and living God, with all the others. And you're like, I don't, I don't have an idol in my home. Yeah, you do. Hockey. Baal was just a god of the weather and a god of the economy. You never served a god of the economy? Come on now. Gods of lust and gods of pleasure. Look, the devil doesn't care if you serve God and if you go to church and if you want to mix him with all these other ones because any amount of mixing is not God. God says, return to me so that I sit on the throne one more time and you get your little butt off of it because some of you are worshiping you. And the devil doesn't mind if you mix God with a whole bunch of you. He doesn't mind at all. He can take you whenever he wants to, but he doesn't even need to because you're already a slave to sin. That's good. That's good. That's so Gideon took 10 of his servants. Now, catch that he's having to tear down the altar of his father. His father. He took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord commanded, but he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, the people of the town began to stir. Someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and that the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. They're not going to be happy when you start tearing down the altars of the, of the other gods in your life. In their, new place, uh, in their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The people said, who did this? And they found out that it was Gideon. And they said, bring out your son, they demanded of a Joash. He must die for destroying the altar of Baal and cutting down the Asherah pole. 
But Joash, and this is what I want you to say, that when you tear down your father's altar, watch the surprising support that you will get because people know that we have been sinning against the Lord our God. And when you stand up and do what is right in your home, when you stand up in your block, when you stand up in your city and do what is right, I'm telling you what, people will follow. Joash, his dad, shouts to the mob that confronted him, why are you defending Baal? Why are you defending the gods of the economy? Why are you defending the gods of pleasure? Why are you defending the gods of lust? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by mourning. If Baal truly is a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbabel, which means let Baal defend himself. I love that name. Call me Jerubbabel. That's my kind of job because he broke down Baal's altar. Now, here's what I want you to do this week. This is a thing that we do in the spirit world because of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Now, you may have never done this in your life, or you may have done it in bits and pieces, but this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home. You're already home. I want you to be home. (laughs) Have you ever torn down the altars that your forefathers lifted up to other gods? Whatever country you come from, there are very symbolic things that are in your family line that you are struggling with right now. And that if you don't do something different than your forefathers did, your children will struggle with the same things. Could be a spirit of lying. Could be a spirit of deception. I've listed a bunch of others. It could be greed. My goodness, Canada had enough wealth to feed the world and we spent it on ourselves. It could be a lot of things. But have you ever actually removed the legal right for those other things to be there? from your father's family. See, God says, I want to turn that around and bless you for a thousand generations. And we invite these other things in and make deals with these other things. And what needs to happen is you need to today remove the right of that other thing to be there. But be careful that you do it under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit of God and under the authority that he has placed in the church. First the prophet came, then the ruler came to show them how this was going to happen. The judge Gideon came to show them how this was going to get fleshed out. You have to remove their legal right to be there, which means you have to say, lust... You are not part of my story anymore. You are not going to pass it on to my children or be involved in my wife and our family anymore. You are not welcome here. Greed, we're going to be generous and we're going to break your back in our home and in our family. God is waiting to bless you, but he cannot while that God is there. All of these things that hatred of authority, rebellion against God. Come on now. There's so many things in your life right now, but listen, there's going to be a few that you need to deal with this week where you take those altars and you tear them down and you put an altar of God in there. When I'm talking to somebody so that they give their lives to Christ, I'm not asking them to take up a whole new God as if they're not serving one already. I'm asking them to replace the old one. You're already giving to that God. You're already sacrificing to that God. You just need to replace that God with the right God. You need to trade them out, man. Tag team God into your life, I'm telling you. Then what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to realize that the devil is used to being there in your life and you're going to come home uh, tomorrow afternoon and and it's like having a cousin who doesn't have a job sitting on your couch. But he's been sitting on your couch for years because you let him. And when you remove the legal right and like, you're not allowed to sleep on my couch and eat from my fridge anymore, devil. When you remove that spirit out of your life and the Holy Spirit comes in, see that fat, lazy cousin just kind of comes in tomorrow and all of a sudden you come back and you're like, why are you here? He's sitting there like smoking on your couch, right? (laughs) And what you have to do is you have to understand, I need to get rid of this thing. And it's going to take me a month for it to get it through its mind that it's not welcome here anymore because my behavior keeps allowing it. But I'm going to be hard 
on myself. I'm going to see what had to happen with Gideon was he had to confront the idols that he himself had been serving first. And it created a hardness in him when the angel of God and the prophet gave a hard message. And then he became hard on the inside. And then he demanded hardness from his family so that he can demand it from his nation. So that one day, 300 warriors can defeat 135,000 and his people can be free. And his sons and daughters no longer live under the oppression of the Midianites. Father... Right now, I pray for every person listening to me. I pray that we would remove the right of those other things, those other gods and those other altars in our lives, and that you, oh God, would come and set up your throne in the middle of our lives. Somebody needs to kick themselves off the throne of their lives, Father. I pray that we would serve the one true and living God from this day forward and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you so much for joining us at our Venue Worship Experience. Thank you, Venue Studio, for being here. Um, it's been great to at least be in your proximity if we can't hug each other right now. Um, listen, when we take care of God's house, he takes care of your house. And I, I want you to understand that God does not want you to be begging for bread right now. And so um, it, now it's time for giving. You'll have the option uh, to give, I think, on the side of the screen, wherever you're picking this up from. And we know that when we invest in God's kingdom, that God always takes care of us. And we love to be generous in a time of famine as well. Um, also, if you haven't been involved in small groups, I really want to encourage you. Please do not let this time go without you being involved in a small group. There's a thing called the room that is a Zoom group about small groups that you're getting invited to right now in your yeah, virtual yeah, yeah. platforms. All right, we love you. I want to say this just to, just to lead you into your week before we do another worship song. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace.